Hey, welcome back, everybody. Brand new episode of Mike Adelic. Um, got a good one today. Uh, really enjoyed, uh, enjoyed this episode a lot. So, hey, thanks to all of you for listening to the show. Thanks for your support. Thanks for your kind words and, and your messages. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm inspired, uh, by you guys who, who listen to this and, and, um, you know, I really appreciate it. Couldn't, couldn't do it without you. Without you, it'd just be, it'd just be me talking into nothingness, just oblivion. So thank you. And, uh, all I ask is that if you, uh, if you like the show, if you're enjoying it, if you're a fan, just go on to iTunes leave a little, uh, five-star rating. That's all you got to do. You don't even have to write anything. You know, I mean, if you want, if you feel compelled, you know, to write something about how I'm the greatest person of all time and that, you know, your life was in shambles and then you listen to Mike Adelic and then I, you know, I came swooping down like a golden bald eagle out of the sky and rescued you from, you know, poverty and, uh, and suffering. Well, sure. Of course, please write that, you know, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the Lord and savior and, you know, reincarnated Buddha, whatever you want to write. I'm not, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, <laughs> but anyway, just go over it, leave a nice uh, little rating or a review, whatever you want to do. That That's basically the best way that you could support the show because then it, you know, it moves up in the rankings and iTunes and then, you know, we can get more, uh, more listeners. We can expose more people to this, this message, which I think is a, a positive one that I'm trying to put out there. And, and then we can get, you know, uh, all kinds of cool guests on and, and stuff like that. So please do me a favor, head on over to iTunes and, and do that one thing for me. And that'd be, that'd be awesome. Speaking of cool, uh, guests, yeah, how about that segue? Corey Allen was my guest, uh, on the podcast today. And, um, I think we had a pretty great conversation. I mean, I really enjoyed talking with him and, uh, you know, he's one of these guys I I think is just really, uh, genuine, authentic and, and, you know, someone that, that you could sit down with and you could talk to, um, you know, for, for hours, uh, and, and, and just have fun with and, and go deep and, and all that good stuff you guys will see, um, listening to this episode. Anyway, Real quick off the top, I just want to say, uh, Corey, uh, I want to mention uh, where you can find him and, and, and all that stuff. Um, so w- Corey hosts a podcast podcast of his own called The Astral Hustle with Corey Allen. Um, he, you can go to his website and check out uh, all that stuff uh, at Corey-Allen, A-L-L-E-N, Dot com and um, he also is a meditation instructor and a musician he has a six-week online meditation course called release into now he is also a musician and you can find his music uh, binaural beats over at his website as well um, so check that out and that's Corey Allen uh, he's also author of a book called one pointed life and uh, which I believe is also available for um, as an audiobook as well, which he narrates. So I'll include all those links in the show notes at mikebrank.com under the podcast section of my website. I'll include that in the show notes and I'll include the links in the, in the description. Um, yeah. And I had a great time, had a great conversation. Hope you guys enjoy this as well. And, and remember if you like the show, just go on over to iTunes, leave me a nice little rating and review. And, uh, without, uh, further ado, here's, uh, my conversation with Corey Allen. Psychedelics are illegal not because a loving government is concerned that you may jump out of a third-story window. Psychedelics are illegal because they dissolve opinion structures and culturally laid down models of behavior and information processing. 
means that everything we know is wrong. We don't need new laws that control our consciousness and rigidly place it in a prison. Cognitive liberty. The fact that as adults, if we're not hurting anybody else, we should have the right to explore the contours of our own consciousness without any mediation or legislation on the part of somebody else. Reject authority. Authority is a lie. Voice of perception. Information is power, but we have to seize, seize the opportunity. The opportunity. The opportunity. It is, that is, it's a, it's a more aggressive kind of waveform. Indeed it is. Yeah. I there, talking about this yesterday is that, you know, it's places that are a little bit more mellow. I, I like that because, um, I mean, I like New York, of course, but in small doses. Yeah. Um, but I like, I like places that are chilled. I just feel like there's a deeper kind of waveform there that you can kind of uh, get more, more space, uh, more quiet, kind of deeper chill going on. Yeah, definitely. Kind of like a sink your teeth in and uh, like a like a bean bag, like a giant bean bag. You know, you could kind of just lay in and just kind of sink into that. Yeah, I, I man, I, I, I always get that feeling too. And and it's it is weird this uh this kind of like New York energy addiction. I think is what it is. You know, it's this like um <laughs> this crit. This crazy wave of energy from all of these different kinds of people just doing all kinds of different things. Yet I'm I'm not necessarily like the most active uh, person in New York. You know, I'm not really like taking advantage of all of these uh, all the diverse things that are going on. I just like that they're happening around me. Right. You know, it's uh, I'm like, oh, this feels good. People are here and people are doing things, and I can kind of feel it. Yeah, but it's it's vibrance it's life you know but i think that that happens to most people that live in new york like i mean obviously i have a ton of friends that live there and uh friends that have lived and moved back and uh, or moved wherever else they're from or going and i feel like uh the thing i hear a lot is that, that that's what happens like it's so massive and there's so much shit happening that you sort of almost get paralyzed by like opportunity so it's like okay cool if you know well um you know like full blast and steve reich are playing tonight at the same time in two different videos but also terry riley is playing two blocks away or whatever and it's like well fuck you know right and by the way those were all 20th and three minimalist composers are just on the why i went that route but <laughs> i like that you did i like that you did yeah it's like so much stuff happening that you almost go like all right i'm gonna kind of chill within 10 blocks of of my spot and and keep it like that because one of the interesting things about New York, and it's, it's sort of happening to Austin, is that the, you know, the small, uh, inclusive, cultural um, um, kind of sectors of a city. So 
there will be these little patches of town where there's the kind of everything you need uh, is is all right there. You know, you have your like the restaurants of all the different the spectrum, your coffee, your food, kind of some entertainment things happening, and you can kind of get towards this little sort of like just enough nectar to keep you pretty local. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, yeah, and, and, and man, and also just like sitting on a train for an hour to get across, or to just trying to get across town is hours that's a that's a motherfucker <laughs> yeah 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 it is it's 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 become kind of i mean it's this weird you know transformation of like a human that you know happens to you when you when you when you live in this kind of like crazy uh place you know this like weird kind of like locust den or something you know it's just like all these crazy people running around and then you know to me like driving a car is like so foreign like i'm like oh that's weird like getting in a car and like fucking driving on the road like a free human being <laughs> i'm used to just shuffling around in these slave tunnels like what is this <laughs> I was calling them, I was writing this thing recently and I was just kind of talking about consensus reality and how, um, you know, what we as humans agree upon as being real or normal is just simply um, what's occurred the most. And so since something has emerged as cultural and as um, patterns of our existence that we all tend to follow, we find the overlapping circles of those things and call that normalcy. Mm-hmm. But really, that's not normal. It's just what has emerged as being uh, consistent. And so we agree it's normal. But what happens is that that grows um, kind of this division, this wall grows around those overlapping circles and makes it to where anything you do or say or think even outside of, of that consensus reality is defined often as irregular or dangerous or threatening or not normal or weird or what have you. But really, it's still just as valid as um, any of the other things that we do in life it's just not what people are used to in the way that they define their own reality um it it, it exists outside of their paradigm um like yeah i, I kind of am ex- often i don't know I, I'm, I'm surprised that there's not just weird things happening like a dude chewing on his arm or someone just like climbing on the edge of a building for no reason or some guy like you know uh doing whatever it is it's like because it's just other uh, happenstances of being, but it's it still is just existence, right? But the way that psychology, human psychology, has emerged, we would define that as irregular. Whenever um, it's only irregular because of its level of uh, um, of, uh, of how uncommon it is for it to occur, but it's right, just, it's just a set of actions, and that's all the human existence is. That's kind of drawing that point with, you know, if you took someone from a, a tribe from like Papua New Guinea or something like that and dropped them in New York City, like they would would not only not find any of the behavior there normal, but um, and I described them riding the subway and I said it would be like riding a metal snake through the intestines of hell. Yeah, yeah. that's a pretty accurate description. Yeah, <laughs> that's a pretty accurate description. No, you're totally right. And uh, yeah, I mean, this is. Um, one of the reasons actually I wanted to talk to you because you articulate this this point uh, very well and uh, I was listening to uh, the introduction of your um, one-pointed life um, where you were talking about uh, the 
kind of cultural programming that happens and the the you know like the, the general consensus of objective reality and this can this can be kind of like almost like a trap for a lot of people and you know it, it seems to be something that happens at a very young age you know it's it's kind of like this uh this strange things that, that, that we we humans do i think maybe you know initially probably as a biological evolutionary thing for survival you know kind of to try and keep us you know safe and 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 whatnot but uh uh, you know, you look at, you look at children who are, you know, before they get into like the school system and that sort of thing. And they're just kind of doing weird stuff. They're all doing weird stuff. They're just being weird and doing just live, you know, being unique. They're not necessarily worried about, uh, conforming and, 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 and that kind of stuff. And then that programming creeps in and then that can almost be kind of like a crippling, machine on uh, a, a crippling like system uh that we kind of like fall into and uh i thought that you 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 made this uh point pretty well and and uh, you know I, i'd love for you to kind of like i don't know let's just let's just mind jam on that for a little bit <laughs> yeah i mean i, I typically uh, i found that the best way to describe what you're talking about is calling it inherited behavior because it's the, it's all of the, it's actually you know it's generations of I mean, it goes all the way back to the beginning of like the human species, but in your family system, um, you know it's the, it's generations of learned behavior that you know what your grandparents have experienced and what how they've been shown and taught to form their point of view and their worldview, and then whenever they have their children, they bring that that child up with all of the baggage of their own life, showing them that this is the way that the world is mm -hmm. and so forth and so forth. So whenever you're born, you're not necessarily a clean slate. You're born into this system of, in, of inherited behavior. And I say inherited because you're literally getting it from your parents, their worldview, their point of view, their moral system, their judgments about the world are pounded into your brain at the most core level. And so, you know, that, that is, I think, in some degree, a thing that you can never escape. And, and I don't know that you necessarily need to completely escape it, because if you did that, you would have no memory of your family or your parents, because you, to get so far out of those thoughts and the foundation of, of that part of your consciousness would be to completely remove it, and that would to remove the reference and symbols and memory and so forth. Yeah. The key you know, to, to um, getting around that is and to waking up to your own life and your own point of view is, is simply becoming aware of that inherited behavior. So you, you begin to realize the way that you think about the world is, has been imprinted on you upon your parents, but also your past experience, your, your, your genetic background, um, the, you know, all of that, the happenstance and, and interactions that you have with life, the symbols that are created and so on, uh, by your experiences in life. And that creates this, subjective uh, filtration lens through which you observe the world outside of your body and um you know again we'll all be always we will all always be experiencing subjectivity there's no way around that because our nervous system is like an instrument taking a reading of uh you know something in a science lab but in, in this instance our nervous system and our body is taking a reading of the world outside of our our bodies and it's that's what we abstract is our consciousness and our reality. Um, but in that reading, you know, each instrument gets a different type of data. So if you're in a laboratory and you want to, you know, get one type of data, you use one type of instrument and another type of data, another type of instrument. Well, each of our nervous systems are completely different 
for all of the reasons I mentioned before, mm-hmm. which is your inherited behavior, genetics, past experience, associative memory, and so forth. And so we're all abstracting these different versions of what's out there in the right. universe. So we're all experiencing this kaleidoscope, this transient hallucination of uh, reality that doesn't even actually exist. It's just our estimations of what seems to be there right now. So if we can wake up to that idea and be aware that that's happening, that leads to openness and a flexibility and an understanding that what we experience in our life is simply a, you know, it's a, it's a shade of the color of what's there and that we are not always correct and right. It's that, that everyone is right. Everyone's experiencing this version of what's there. And um, with that level of openness and flexibility, um, it leads to being more open-minded, more compassionate, um, more patient, and not getting wrapped up and um, you know lost in your own bias of what you think is there. Yeah, amen, man. That was uh, yeah, that, exactly. And I, I wish that we were. Uh, I, I guess you know, in, in our culture here in the West, like our society, you know, we we I brought up like school before as as children, and it's like. You know, we don't really learn. You learn how to do math and social studies. You learn, you know, Christopher Columbus sailed the ocean blue or whatever. You don't learn about how to control your mind, be the observer. You know, look like you don't learn any of this kind of stuff at all. You know, you don't. It's it's only until I don't know who knows if if you ever get exposed to this. You know, the average person. Uh, you know, there's certainly a lot of people here in New York City. I see just you know walking around in in kind of an unconscious way, um, and becoming identified so much with the objective reality that is the general consensus of the society of the of the particular location or wherever that person happens to be growing up in this case you know New York some people are just like well well this is what it is you know this is the game this is this is who I am and this is what everything is um and uh, and and you know problems will will kind of creep up in their life but what you what you kind of specialize in is is kind of like and correct me if I'm wrong but like you know kind of ma- creating the mindfulness like helping the person understand that there is a separation between um you, who you are and what the con- general consensus of obje- objective reality is in your environment and you know the, you you are not your thoughts sort of mentality is that right yeah sure what, Definitely a good way to say it. What does what does that mean? Like you are not your thoughts, because I've 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 heard this a bunch of times, and and I think I have a, a good understanding. But but if you could explain that, that'd be cool. Oh sure, yeah, um, yeah. I, I typically just to to tack on to that definition you're saying of what I do is kind of how I've been thinking of it recently. Is saying I like to try and get people to laugh their way into a deep. Yeah, reality. man. Hey, comedy is a great. Uh, you know, we're talking about general consensus of reality. I mean, one of my favorite things, and I think I think you you agree on this too, is just kind of absurdist humor, right? Just like when 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 somebody just breaks reality. I love. I absolutely love that. There's nothing better than that to me. It's, it's the best. Yeah. Um, so as far as you and I thoughts, yeah. Uh, that speaks to like the flow of the arising of consciousness. So I did research in this just in myself, uh, of my own experience, my meditation, of course, also uh, studying a lot of neurology and neuroscience and so forth, and uh, you know, uh, neurophilosophy. Uh, that's a sticky word, but I like to use it. <laughs> um, and so anyway, uh, yeah, if you think about what, what are your thoughts, it's like, well, your, your thoughts are this, this river of 
um, ideas and memories and symbols and you know kind of this broken mirror almost of fragments of of uh, information. And where are they coming from? Well, they seem to be just arising. They seem to just if you quiet and, and especially if you go into meditation or if you just pause for a moment and actually point your focus inwards, you, you realize that my thoughts are just arising. Mm-hmm. I, I, they're just coming. And where are they coming from? Well, I have no idea. <laughs> and no one has any idea. You know, at the, at the highest level of um, neuroscience research, they still say, well, we don't know where thoughts come from. Yeah. yeah. That's the hard, the hard problem. Isn't, isn't that such a funny thing? It's like, well, who is the me that's knowing that this is happening? That's such a, that's a, such a strange, like, weird, trippy insight. Like, wait a second. How many people are living inside here? <laughs> a lot. <laughs> yeah. To show uh, this other interesting thing that I'll talk about uh, after this, and, which is this wonderful thing to contemplate. So, as far as the arising of thoughts, it's like uh, I've done a lot of contemplation on like what that is, and I've tried to track it back, like in my own meditation, just following the arising and stream of thoughts, trying to track, track it as deep down to the source and the root as I possibly can. And what I really came to realize is that the thoughts are just this transient arising of something which I'm not sure had anything to do with with me in some ways. And of course they're like, quote unquote, my thoughts because they're arising in my consciousness, but they're not how I would define myself because we always have these, we have negative thoughts, and we have positive thoughts and, and indeterminate thoughts and so forth. We have things that are abstract and don't make any sense, um, but we have thoughts that repeat themselves and come back a lot, you know. Um, but I assume you would probably agree, and most people listening, that like we have some awful thoughts sometimes. You know, oh yeah. That you're like, I, why don't I just think like the the thing to do is to kick that baby. Like you're in a store, it's like I should kick that baby in the face right now. Like, <laughs> 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 and people often think, what is wrong with me? And uh, as a tangent to that tangent, I've had that thought many times. Yeah. And it's because you know, and this is where the real abstract, this is where it gets high stakes, but this is where it gets real funny. It's because I'll think about just the the shockwave and the effect you could have on so many lives if you went up to someone holding a baby. Yes. And you just punch it right in the face. <laughs> because not only, not only would you kill that baby, but like the parents, their family, right. their whole life system would be just flipped on its head and your life system would be flipped. Everyone that observed it in the store, the news, it would be this huge shock. I think just the bizarreness of the fragility of, of how we <laughs> uh, the conduits of our existence. Anyway, obviously I would never do that. that. That's a hilarious point, though, because I've definitely thought the exact same thing. It's like, what would happen right now if I had just like I'm walking this is because this thought probably happens to me almost every day I'm walking on the subway and some woman is trying to like teach her son how to walk for the first time on the subway stairs during like rush hour you're like okay what if I just took this kid and just threw like threw him down the subway stairs you know like what would the ripple effect of that be like what would happen and like you know obviously I'm not gonna do it but like you know and I've had a there's this comedian Nick Swartz and he talks about like you know, what if I just like walked into a mall and just announced to everybody who farted and I just screamed like who farted and then I just blew my brains out. Like what would happen? Like what would people do? They'd be like, what did he say? Like who farted? You know, so yeah, I love that idea of of kind of again like disturbing reality and then that like ripple effect of choice and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, yeah, crazy thoughts. We all have them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I, I love that idea. You should go get 
get that little kid to, to ride the third rail for a minute. <laughs> so, yeah, like, we all have these thoughts, in, in good, bad, etc., whatever, but they arise, you know, and, and then they dissipate, and, and most times they never come back, and sometimes they do come back. But, you know, that to me tells me that we are not our thoughts in the sense that those things that arise are just, you know, uh, variants of potentialities that our brain is creating um, for a variety of reasons. Mm -hmm. uh, but what we are is how we respond to our thoughts. Right. You know, that's what defines us. So whenever we have good, bad, you know, how, or what we would define as good and bad thoughts, you know, how we pause and interact with, contemplate, and then respond and act outwardly towards the world, that's what we are. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's, that's where you know, part of the mindfulness comes in. And, um, you know, the seed of intention exists before the birth of idea. And so whenever you have a thought that arises, your intention can exist in the line, in kind of the linear flow of your being before um, the arising of those thoughts in the, in the sense of pulling the trigger, you know, for action. And so we can have a thought that arises, we choose to interact with it and, and you know, follow through with it in some physical or verbal way. But then behind that, we go, I mean, what is the intention? And that space is a lot of where mindfulness, uh, you know, it, is, exists. Mm -hmm. Because it's how we express it outwardly. And if we choose, and how we choose to, you know, that, that creates um, our, our shockwave that we send out into the universe. Yeah, I mean, this is this is very important work, I think, for individuals to do. Um, and and you know, thanks, you know, to people like yourself and and you know, other people that that this is kind of something that's emerging more and more now. What do you think it was like? Why I feel like you know, here in the West, like uh, there's this kind of like almost maybe fear, fear of going inward or, or maybe just it's the ego that's like, well, there couldn't possibly be anything wrong with me and my thoughts. So I'm just going to, you know, I'm just going to blame things on, on the other, uh, you know, we, like where did that, where did that kind of thing like arise from I mean, in, in our culture? Uh, I'm not really too sure, but it just seems, it seems to be kind of, uh, um, something that we're not really like, um, we, we, we kind of have this view of like, oh, well, that's all well and good for like, you know, th that's like a woo-woo kind of like health and wellness people, uh, you know, that's not for everybody sort of thing. When in, when in fact, I think this is like totally for everybody. I mean, we're all human beings, right? I mean, uh, don't you think being able to kind of like control your, your mind or, or, uh, or at least be aware of, uh, of what you are in your nature. So, so yeah, I mean, I guess like, you know, what I'm trying to say is the, the kind of, uh, the kind of like culture that we have here doesn't seem to be like, so, uh, so in tune to, to allowing people to like have self-reflection so much. So in the mainstream, I think. Certainly. Yeah. I think that like, most people go through their lives not once ever stopping to think so their reality might not be exactly how they believe it to be just yeah. for starters that's crazy man i i can't believe that because i i think about that every day <laughs> like, sure. I yeah. and, and i i just experience life in that way right knowing in that you know that approach and you know i think and it's not necessarily this form of defiance i don't think it's not this like well I'm, I'm right. I mean, it's just, it's even deeper than that. It's, it's less, 
has even less awareness than that. It's just they're simply moving forward through their life, and they don't think stop to realize, or nothing um, has, they haven't encountered an experience which has woken them up to something different. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's the, the most removed level of self-awareness. Um, another level is someone who begins to sniff you know, that their, their reality might be subjective and that they're, um, you know, uh, have, have some sense of self-awareness. But then there, as you mentioned, their ego begins to fight against that. And I kind of have been thinking about this more and more recently as I was talking, as I've been talking to large and larger groups of people uh, in person, mm-hmm. is, you know, my approach to it, and, and as you said, uh, people often define it as, oh, well, that's woo-woo. It's kind of a way to um, discount or, or to marginalize, you know, inner exploration. Say so that's woo-woo, that's for them, not for me, what have you. It's, it's mystical and it's it's esoteric and so forth. And that's why a huge part of the work that I'm doing is, is talking about this stuff in a way which removes all the bullshit. Mm-hmm. You know, I talk about it in a very, or I, I intend to talk about it and do my best to talk about it. Even the most, uh, you know, you know, transient, um, intangible astral experiences I still try and talk about them in a very authentic way without a bunch of superlative language mm-hmm. that excludes truth and be clear about the openness of like, look, I don't believe in anything, much less this or that or you know this experience or this experience. I share or I talk about it, things I have experienced and then define them as potentialities. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not saying anything that's real or false. Just as much as like my sitting here, I don't feel like it's real or false. Um, and that that lack of belief is not nihilism, but it's a, it's it's speaks back to the understanding of experiencing reality in a multidimensional way. It's like I just I know that I'm taking a reading of objective world, and so that's how I approach the world, just with pure openness, right? And a lack of investment in my own story and my own ego. So anyway, back to speaking to larger groups of people, you know, in, in my approach, just from my background and my inherited behavior and, and who I am is like uh, talking about this stuff very bluntly, you know, very straightforward. I use foul language a lot of times, most times. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I joke about all the, the different facets of this stuff. And and I found that some people that makes them uncomfortable, you know, like in, in large groups. Like I've shown up to talk to a group of people about consciousness or, or mindfulness or whatever, and I'll say, okay, so um, everyone else here hung over and just have a couple of cups of coffee because <laughs> I am, you know? Mm-hmm. And even something like that it gets you a little tight because they think, well, this that doesn't compute. That's not mindfulness. Yeah, right? Like, oh, you're supposed to be like totally a Zen master with robes and, you know, drinking tea. You're not supposed to be drinking alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. And it's like, yeah, but, but Zen and mindfulness has nothing to do with any of that stuff. Right. You can, you know, you can be a mindful serial killer. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yes. This stuff has nothing to do with, with personality or preference. It's, yeah, it's way it's way deeper than that. Right. Um, so anyway, I I've, I see that in, in the blunt and uh, intentionally um, psycho philosophically aggressive um, ways I describe things sometimes, I like to try and get right to the the heart of the matter on some stuff. Uh, it's kind of a mixture of mixing laughter with then uh, kind of intense philosophical discourse and then laughter because to me that 
laughter softens, open makes it relax, and then you can get in there at a deeper level and you know try and share an idea with them. And then once that kind of gets murky, you can make them laugh again, and they relax, open up, and then you can go back. It's kind of this this excavating process of uh, working the thumb in there, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> so um, anyway, but yeah, I find people get like tense and, and tight. Um, whenever I am uh, in those situations and I, I realize uh, through some conversation with friends that it's like, Oh, right. right. The, the reason why that approach is kind of challenging for some people is because uh, an ego structure, which is unaware of itself is being challenged. Mm. By some of the things that I'm saying, and when it's being challenged, it tightens up and, and creates a wall and clenches up so that it won't be dismantled. But that person is unaware, you know, their ego search is just unaware that they even exist, but it's still tightening and defending itself uh, in the subconscious. So that's why people clench up, you know. So um, that can be another huge factor for people who uh, you get have some sense of self-awareness, get interested, and then go looking into it. They, without knowing it, um, begin to resist it because mm -hmm. the ego structure is fighting against it without them realizing it. You know? Yeah, it's a very interesting thing, like this like automated self-defense mechanism that protects itself from being uh, kind of, uh, you know, second seat or, or something, you know, it's like, well, you know, we, we all of a sudden, uh, when when confronted with uh, a different kind of perspective or an alternative, alternative way of thinking uh, that uh, this, this ego doesn't want to feel like it's not good enough, or that it's not, it's, it isn't all everything that is and ever will be. So it has to, you know, protect itself from being destroyed. Destroyed. Uh, it's it's very interesting. I, I, re I read this book recently called "The End of Your World" by um, a spiritual teacher called uh, named Ajishante, and uh, I um, it, it it really is a great title, "The End of Your World," because when 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 you're confronted with this kind of uh, you know alternative way of thinking, a different kind of perception, you know when you're inviting uh, the experience of of mindfulness into your life, it is a sort of end to the to a world that you uh, that you thought that you knew. You you thought you knew all the rules. You thought you knew how everything was. You kind of had everything all packaged up in nice little boxes and neat neat in your head. That's the way it is. That's the way it always will be. And you got comfortable, you know, you got comfortable. And then all of a sudden this entire, you know, this asteroid of like whatever, you know, just pers different perspective and information, wisdom comes shattering uh, your your ego to pieces. And then you're like, oh boy, what, yeah, <laughs> now what, exactly. now, now, what? now where do I, now who, now who am I? Now where do I live? What do I do? What, what am I supposed to do? Yada, yada, yada. You, you mentioned uh, nihilism. Uh, I, f I felt that was interesting, and I and you know before we uh, had this conversation, I was I was looking up some of your stuff, and and I w I saw an episode that you did on on your podcast, The Astral Hustle, um, called Existential Paralysis, mm -hmm. and I found that to be very interesting because I was like, whoa, that is a really uh, it just struck me as like, well, I I feel like I know what that is, and then I gave it a listen, and I was like, yeah, that that kind of happened. <laughs> That kind of happened to me too, man. Like, what is this? Like, I, I, I got pretty, I got pretty deep and dark into, into kind of just absurdism and nihilism and just kind of like, you know, um, just let kind of like the dark waves of depression kind of drag me down. But, uh, 
luckily I've you know found a way out. But uh, but there there is this kind of weird uh, seductiveness to kind of just just being. Uh, being grabbed by the the notion that everything is kind of absurd and pointless and stuff um and i and you you mentioned that i think you you said that you like you picked up a a book by nietzsche when when you were like 10 and started reading it jesus <laughs> wow uh yeah i didn't get into that till like maybe i was like 25 but wow that's that's impressive so so how did that kind of uh like you know the existential paralysis thing do you, do you think that that's something that 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 kind of happens to people who are who are interested in kind of I don't know, whatever you want to call this mindfulness waking up and and developing a sense of awareness being being kind of a, an observer of your thoughts is is that kind of like a necessary phase that has to go or or not necessarily I think it unquestionably happens to people yeah uh, as, as far as the the percentage I couldn't tell you but I will say is that man the amount of of emails I've got over that episode mm. is fucking crazy. Like an insane amount of people respond to that where they were just like, they had this, I mean, it was exactly what you were telling me is that they were saying, Whoa, man, I, I had that, I experienced the exact same shit or I'm experiencing that now. And, and the term existential paralysis is like, that is, that's just it. Yeah, it. exactly. Yeah. And yeah, I, you know, I think that, that it is an experience and it makes sense uh, in the trajectory of, of kind of waking up. And it also feeds into the previous thing we we're talking about. Like, whenever you begin to peel the bony fingers of the ego off the joystick of the self, <laughs> like, um, you know, people, it's, it can be scary because, it's, you know, it, to quote that book you're talking about, when it's the end of your world, there, there is this morning period in my experience of, of the ego. Mm -hmm. It's like, um, and once you remove your story, you know, that's what they're talking about in this end of your world thing. It's like, yeah, you stop, you're living in your story. Whenever you get out of that, you begin to see the story as opposed to your story. Then the you-ness that you identified and you thought you were, that thing's dying. That, right. that previous self-identified image of the self is, is dying. And so whenever that thing dies, What's the place of it? Well, oblivion. And that's the thing that most people are trying to fit religion into or drugs or sex addiction or uh, careerism or television or whatever it is. There's this void of oblivion that we need, that we all have because, you know, the infinite echo of the human condition is blaringly loud. We all have the temporary moment in this incarnation, in this body, in life, and we're all going to die. And so people put things in the place of that, that black hole um, to, to try and not deal with and accept and work with and, and kind of understand that fact of our own existence. And so whenever you get out of you know, the self of it and you begin to um, re you know, dissolve that self-identified idea of what you were and your ego begins to let loose and you begin to be able to work with it a little bit, then yeah, you, you get to sea level again because you've been below sea level all this time mm. and so now you get to sea level, sea level and you go all right uh clean slate <laughs> so, <laughs> nothing everything is infinite yeah uh, nothing nothing matters in quotes um everything just will be my life is just one grain of sand flowing on a beach of infinity um like what what's the point of it all and like and, and what the fuck you know that's not yeah and so that's that level of you know, existential paralysis where it's like, okay, I exist, but why and for what? And 
And um, that's another, that's being in the oblivion. So you're before, you know, when you're wrapped up in your ego, that's uh, before the oblivion. You have something in the hole of it. It's corked. <laughs> your ego is corking oblivion. You pull up the cork of the ego, and it's this giant hole of oblivion, and now you're in the hole. Mm. And the key, you know, the thing that you want to keep searching for is to find your way out of that hole on the other side of it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, man, I mean, people experience that and, and get into all sorts of stuff and to try and fight against it or, or reconcile with it. And um, that's, I think that's a, a part of the process in a lot of ways. And, and hopefully people don't get lost in, in that space. I know personally um, people people that, that have and still are lost in that space, that people I care about that I've spent literally years and, and dozens and dozens of hours on the phone with um, you know, trying to shine light on that space of oblivion, and, and uh, it doesn't really, it hasn't really helped that much. Yeah. And, um, you know, so it's some people, and not that, you know, who the fuck am I, but if, if I'm very... Yeah, who the fuck are you? Why are you? No. Yeah. <laughs> no, I know, yeah, I think about that all the time. Like, I'm well-versed yeah. to a degree in red, and I spend my life studying and working with this stuff. And like so, that amount of dedication—it's like the, the probabilities of me being able to try and kind of talk a perspective into somebody would be higher than um, perhaps the average person. Uh -huh. it, it still is not getting you know everyone out of that that zone. So it's a it's a strong suction that that oblivion can have. Yeah, I I, I mean I think about that too. I mean in in a, in a way, I mean I. I love when I get messages from people that are, you know, that are telling me that like I helped them or, you know, that I, that I was able to do something. It just makes me, there's nothing better than that. I, I feel, you know, really great when I'm, when I'm able to do that. But then I also have this thing of like, well, who the fuck am I? Like what, like what the hell am I? I'm not just, I'm just some fucking guy. Some, someone actually messaged me on Twitter the other day, like, Hey, I'm just some guy, but you and, and your buddy, like, uh, I do another podcast with a comedian friend of mine. Uh, and he's like, you guys have like changed my life. I'm like, Hey man, we're all just some fucking guy. You know, it's like, we're all just some fucking person. Like, I don't know. You know, we don't know. It's uh, what's the point of, of all this. It's just this, I don't know just what it is. And, um, it's, it's pretty fucking mind blowing when, when you have that realization, I, I you know, myself, I've, I lived a pretty unconscious life for maybe the first like 25 years of my life. And it wasn't until, um, I, I went to a music festival and took, uh, took LSD that I had like this real eye opening kind of experience. And, uh, and that, that kind of, that was like, um, almost like a jump start, you know, like into consciousness, into mindfulness. I feel like, I've, uh, you know, I kind of like, I titled my podcast, Mikeadelic and I'm like, yeah, you know, like psychedelics, man, like this is where it's at, you know? And it's like, it's a tool, you know, it's, it's definitely a tool. And it's it, it, for a, for a while when I, when I first got turned on to it, I felt like, um, wow, I had achieved this knowledge, this wisdom of this other realm of this other perception, this other way of being. And I wanted to share it with other people. I was like, guys, like, well, look, look what I found. Like, this is crazy. Like you guys got to try this stuff. And people are like, yeah, what do you mean? Drugs? Like, you know, like that kind of thing. And it's, uh, but they, 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 there is a, there's, there's a use for them. But I think, um, I like, 
I now subscribe to kind of Alan Watts' uh, approach of things where he says, if you get the message, kind of you know, hang up the phone. Uh, because otherwise, it just becomes another void-filling activity, another oblivion-filling activity. You know, it's just, you're just doing shrooms you know, every day. It's like you're not really – you're not being a part of whatever this is. You're just kind of escaping into, uh, into a different world. Um, and, and, and kind of, you know, trying to, trying to fill the oblivion, like you said, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, what, do you have any experience? My, 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 actually my, my, uh, my most recent and most profound experience was an ayahuasca trip that I went down to, uh, Peru, you know, I got to say inspired by, uh, your buddy, Aubrey Marcus. I mean, it's funny how this world that we're in right now, I mean, the, just the fact that I'm, I'm, you know, talking to you right now and I have a podcast and you have a podcast and, and I, you know, I, I kind of was inspired by, by Joe and, and Joe Rogan and, and Aubrey. And, you know, now there's this kind of like little, these little, uh, this, this, this little spread of, uh, of, of, of cool people doing interesting things and podcasting and talking about these things. I never knew about any, like I never knew about ayahuasca or whatever. And then I heard Aubrey talking about it on Joe Rogan. I was like, what the fuck is this? This is, this is some mind blowing shit. I got to try. And I finally did. It was pretty cool. Went down to Peru, had the experience and, uh, it definitely, um, it was definitely very profound. Um, so, so, so what is, uh, what, what has your experience been uh, with, uh, with the psychedelics and, and kind of like that, that whole thing? Um, you know, how, how did you kind of get into this? Was, was it, was it through, cause my, my, uh, kind of way was through psychedelics. Like I just said, like uh, the LSD was kind of like the catalyst for me to like, to like jumpstart me, like a fucking old rusty car that just like covered in grass, you know, sitting in someone's front lawn. You're just like, what is that? It's just like, ah, some unconscious 25 year old dickhead throw some LSD on there. And it's just like sparked up. I was like, Whoa. Okay. So, so, uh, yeah. What was your kind of like initiation and, and experience with that kind of stuff? Uh, well, you know, my background on that is that just from my life experience, um, at a young age, I, I got into philosophy and, um, as I said, at a, at a very young age, my teen years, um, because I, I, it's pretty random, actually, in the sense that I was having a conversation um, with someone, and it's funny to talk about a 14-year-old. I was having a conversation. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you're reading Nietzsche at 10, so come on. <laughs> so I was having a conversation with someone, and uh, the topic came up of if you could eat dinner with four people, you know, live or dead, who would they be? And one of the people they listed was Nietzsche, and I thought, oh, that sounds like a cool name. And so the next time I was in a bookstore, I went over and picked up like the, the pocket guide to, to Nietzsche. Uh -huh. And, um, you know, I read, I just started reading it. It was, it really, I felt, I felt that was the first time I felt this feeling of like feeling high from ideas. Uh -huh. And I felt like my, I literally felt stoned and I, I was like 12 years old. So I <laughs> high was. Nice. So a couple of years later I started, um, you know, I, I was reading this, and I think, wow, I feel stoned from reading this. And this, 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 these words, this, this way to describe thought in the world, not necessarily the message, but the form of communication, this is how I think. Mm -hmm. You know, like, holy shit, this is, this is what I've been looking for. Yeah, it resonated with you. Yeah, absolutely. So I got really obsessed with philosophy, and I kind of, um, over the next, you know, uh, I don't know, five to eight years, digested the entire Western canon of philosophy. Like, I just went... Ape shit. I, I, I had 
a really obsessive personality. And so I would read for you know at least a couple hours a day, every day, from the time I was a teenager until the time I was in my early, you know, mid-20s. But I was just reading everything uh, I could kick my hands on as far as philosophy goes. And then, um, you know, as I moved into Eastern philosophy, after I got felt like I had a handle on Western philosophy and ideas, that was a new level of, of awakening in the sense that especially a lot of the Buddhist and Taoist, you know, ideas, uh, I started going, wow, this is like, now, not only is this the way I communicate, but it's what I communicate. This is what I think. This is my value system to a large degree. Mm-hmm. This is, I think we should operate. All these things are aligning and making sense. So I got really, really obsessed into Eastern philosophy. And, um, you know, and this is, you know, the age of, you know, uh, 15, 16, um, 17, just being really, really obsessed by it. And uh, it, towards the beginning of that, getting into Eastern philosophy, there's a lot of talk of meditation. And uh, I started practicing that and just kind of experimenting with my own. And, and this is the mid-90s. I'm 34. This is the mid-90s. And so the internet was around, but it wasn't like what it is today. So I would, this is all, all out of books, pretty much. And um, what happened was that because of my surroundings, kind of my, uh, just the, the some of the extreme... Uh, experiences that I was around uh, in my environment, I started looking at meditation as kind of like this, this sanctuary. It was this, this place inside of my body, like the world inside of my skin is the place where everything, that's like my space. It's like where everything is uh, up to my control. It's like completely protected. And now I can go like deep in that place and like go inward. Mm-hmm. And I started sort of just intuitively going inward at, at a really young age in meditation. I didn't even know what I was doing. I was reading these books and, you know, this is before the new wave of a lot of like um, popularized versions of Buddhism or, you know, any of the Eastern thought. Um, it was, I was reading a lot of really, really, I mean, everything was very dense. You know, I was reading Science and Sanity by Avril Brzezinski, you know, dense science, books on science of thought and, uh, you know, dense esoteric writing things, it was, you know, um, uh, classic Zen works that uh, have brutal translations and all that stuff, and I was figuring out how to meditate, I used to just lay down and close my eyes, and just try, I started trying to figure it out and feel my way around it, and it started, you know, happening and getting stronger and stronger and stronger, and and, um, it became something that, um, you know, and at that same time, again, when I was quite young, you know, my teenage years, I started taking... I was taking LSD and, and mushrooms and things like that, and uh, you know, quite a, a healthy amount. And uh, <laughs> I, you know, use that in my meditation. You know, I take psychedelics and meditate, staring into a can of flame for four hours or something like that. Um, and again, all this is just happening on intuition. And I started getting, uh, you know, sort of images in my mind during this time, and it was, it was waking up my astral sense, my cosmic. I uh, and it was it's essentially like dreaming while you're awake you know having these images on the stage of, of your mind's eye you've done ayahuasca you know what that looks like yeah uh, and it's you know the astral consciousness waking up and pushing through the membrane to see other frequencies of reality that seem to exist alongside of or uh, beyond our human meat space frequency of reality and I started just following those things and I would have these experiences again, you know, in my late teen years where I'd be, you know, meditating and uh, I'd have this experience where I would fit in my, you know, astral consciousness, see uh, my body would morph into an infinite 
uh, purple desert in my uh, mind, you know, something that symbolized my mind would turn to the sun and, and the, the sun and the purple sand would, would meet up on the horizon and <laughs> explode into a kaleidoscope of, of uh, colors and form this river of like red fire flowing out of my body into the cosmos. And then I'd go read about something, you know, a couple months later, I'd say, oh, that's an, that's an old Sufi experience. That's mm-hmm. like, oh, it's the harmonic of the heart and mind awakening into the, the fire of the heart exploding outwards into the universe, you know. Um, things like that, where I was having these experiences and then reading about them and put, having context for them afterwards. So I intuitively kept following that path. And um, yeah, just it, it became such an important and powerful part of the way that I saw reality. And, you know, I was interested in, as I said, those philosophies. But then the thing that really, that they, I, I kept trying to extrapolate and unpack and unpack and unpack those things. And I got to consciousness because I thought, well, all of this is very interesting, <laughs> and these thoughts uh, and formulations of what this is is interesting. But I want to know what's bro- what's the signal that's broadcasting even my ability to read these ideas. Mm-hmm. You know, with my own consciousness. So I started getting very into as a you know, psychology and, and neuroscience and things like that uh, after that, and um, that that was a big part of the reason why uh, you know ayahuasca was interesting to me. Not only because my friend Aubrey was telling me, dude, you know, you got to go on this trip with me. Uh, and go go do it, but um, because I I really was interested in confirmation, you know the things of people who I talked about about their ayahuasca experiences, talked about astral vision and so forth, and I wondered is the thing that they're talking about clicked on for them whenever they or they had flashes of it during their ceremony? Is that the thing that I see all the time whenever I close my eyes? You know, mm-hmm. I just want to know if it's the same. And indeed, it you know, it was interesting. And, yeah, uh, and so. Yeah, that's how I got into it, and, and really, um, as far as becoming it, it, this becoming my you know profession, and uh, just kind of being a professional Corey out in the world, <laughs> uh, talking talk shit about uh, consciousness and, and mindfulness and philosophy and so forth. Um, yeah, I really I waited intentionally until I was at an age where in a spot with my ego to where I knew that I could do this publicly without being affected by um, anything around you know, what happened with me talking about these ideas, whether that be good or bad or, um, you know, whenever you wake people up to new ideas, they, we all always are looking for a tribal leader, you know, or, or some symbol of truth or um, some ideology or something like that. It's just a natural part of the human tribal nature. And uh, I wanted to wait until I knew my ego was at a place where I'd be truly earnestly unaffected by anything you know uh like that so that i could keep it completely authentic and, and just pursue my goal my my service of the source is to reduce suffering and increase awareness and that's everything i'm doing it's why it's why i'm doing this podcast right now is because I, I hope someone listens to it and it reduces their suffering and increases their awareness and so I waited and waited and waited until, you know, I, I felt and I knew intuitively where I was. You know, I was 15 years in on the path at this point at least. Um, and then my friend, as I mentioned, uh, yeah, Aubrey had his podcast and, and he always, I've, I don't know, I've been on his podcast like 15 times or something just because we hang out. He's like, hey, dude, we, you know, we've got a podcast. And then his listeners would, over the years, would always email me and be like, man, you've got to start your own podcast. And then I thought, all right, I'll just start sharing some conversations I have with friends. 
and um, then doing some little solo jams and whatever. And, and it kind of grew from there. And it, now it's doing quite well. And um, a lot of other things have emerged because of that and just uh, other work that I've been do doing. But the important thing, you know, I use the Charles Bukowski quote quite often by cleaning it up because, uh, you know, uh, I don't. I love Charles Bukowski. Yeah. 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 See, I, I clean it up because I know some people have a little bit of struggle with some of his uh, language mm -hmm. on this particular quote. But, you know, whatever, you know, he, he obviously got famous uh, and, and well received whenever he was a lot older. I think he, he was in his 50s by the time anyone gave a shit about his writing. Mm -hmm. And uh, someone asked him, like, hey, you know, uh, so, man, is all this um, attention going to your head at all? And he's like, no, nah, the guys with the movie cameras and the young blondes showed up too late. I don't <laughs> care. You know, all they cared about was his writing. Yeah. And I always had that quote in the back of my mind. Like, I wanted to get to a place where I just knew, in all earnestly, that, that my ego was, was ready for to, to spread, you know, to share my experiences to where um, it would be 100% uh, only for the good, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's amazing, man. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Reduce suffering and increase, increase awareness. I think that's like a very noble goal and, uh, just, you know, seem pretty in tune with, with what I'm trying to do as well. And, uh, you know, cause, cause, cause obviously, I mean, everything is just way more doper, I guess would be the word I would use. Like every, everything just is way, way better when, when there's more people that, uh, are not suffering and, and more aware, I think is, uh, you know, something that's a good thing to strive towards. Yeah. It's interesting, man. That's, <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you a funny, you know, a way to articulate that, that, that was just kind of given to me yeah. in one of my intense, uh, ceremonies, one of my intense ayahuasca ceremonies. Mm -hmm. Was, it was showing me the source of the universe. And, and uh, I went through a lot of, of conduits, which I later learned are just the fractal tubes in which the structures of different frequencies of the universe are uh, connected. I've learned how to move through while I was there, you know, in my astral vision. And I moved through one of these tubes and came out to the source of the universe, which is an infinite river of neon colored mandalas. Mm. And it was floating like in Ghostbusters 2, you know, that yeah. river of slime of the city. <laughs> right. It's like, imagine that, but if it's all, if it's made of love and energy and like life force and it's neon mandalas flowing in all directions. Cool. And yeah, it was cool. And what was, what it, was, it said to me was like, this is the source of the all. And basically that one of these lines of neon mandalas is like code and it's dispatched and inserted into a human body. And that's what people have defined and called spirit or soul or something like that. And when they go through life and then they drop their body, that line of mandala code returns to the source and is dispatched again. But most people go through life uh, like a driver unaware that they have a passenger. They're unaware of the divine line and of code within them. Uh, they just go through the process. Mm -hmm. And um, I was a vegetarian for seven years before I went to Peru. And then in this moment, literally looking at the conduits of, of nature of our planet and seeing how all you know first they wake up to the fact that plants have consciousness but then also seeing that all things are in a perpetual churning of dropping and returning to source yeah and life and flowering but it was really the it was human chauvinism on my point uh, on my part to, to separate plant and animal worlds of course factor farming and all that stuff and commercialized meat industry is is pretty fucking horrific but as far as life it's all the same Right. And so 
anyway, I asked it. I said, well, what is the point of all this? Why, like, why this problem? <laughs> As to quote the Zen, the Zen, why the ceaseless coming and going? Mm-hmm. I know. Um, uh, to, you know, so I said, why is, what's the point of this churning, this dispatching of lines of Nandala code and, and returning? They said, well, this is, um, all in the pursuit of, of perfecting the mass mathematics of the cosmic equation. Whoa. Yeah. The mathematics of the cosmic equation. Perfecting it. Yeah. Perfecting the, the mathematics of the cosmic equation. Well, that, so, so, so what does that mean? Well, it means that it's, I guess it's intensifying and, uh, basically streamlining the source itself. But it's like our lives are, uh, as we move through our lives, we're working out uh, this code to uh, increase the harmonic of our own existence mm. by, by streamlining it in, in power and increasing the power of the source. That, that the, like the light of our being of not just humans, but get out of the anthropomorphization of the universe, you look at like the entire universe. We're, we're, we're just one tiny speck of humanity or existence on one planet amidst a, a nearly infinite universe. Yeah. So our viewpoint of the cosmos is completely anthropomorphized. We see everything is relating to humans somehow. Right. But that's just because we're human. So if you get out of that and you look at existence beyond the scope of it being having some humanness to it, like we're just this one piece of this huge, huge, huge thing. And so <clears throat> the light that fuels all existence of the universe is growing brighter by its churning of its own very existence. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's, uh, that's pretty heavy, man. <laughs> yeah. That's, 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 that's definitely like every time I, like, uh, someone starts explaining this stuff and, or if I'm talking about it, I just can't help but think about like star Wars. I just can't help but think about like the force, and and how like kind of real that is to a certain extent, like the 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 force, like it's okay. Well, that's that's the or you, like you said, it's the source, right? The source of the universe. But it's like uh, it just it just these symbols that we that we create, like these or the the stories that we create to help kind of anthropomorphize everything and relate it, really kind of helps us uh, understand, I guess, kind of what can't be understood almost because it's so. It's so infinite. It's so, um, you know, unspeakable, almost like, you know, some of these ayahuasca experiences or just even if you, I'm sure you've probably had really like, uh, kind of transcendent meditation experiences. It's all sometimes, yeah, sometimes it's, it's almost like, uh, ineffable. There's just, there's no words to, to, to describe exactly what it is that, uh, that you've experienced, but there is this kind of sense of inner knowing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean the intangible nature of those experiences is what makes it so difficult to talk about. Is because you can't sit next to someone and compare. Hey, let me te- let me show you my dream. Let me right. Show you my, my internal progress. We can't compare and feel and hold and look at. It. It's all using words to talk about something that is inherently subjective to begin with, which is your own internal experience. And that's actually one of the things I address and and, and try and clarify a lot. Uh, in my meditation course, is that very thing. It's like, you know, this is why this stuff is, is challenging and slippery for a lot of people, is because of that very reason. It's like we can't 
we can't share, we can't put our actual experiences, our intangible psychedelic experiences out on the table and all look at them, you know? Yeah. And we're, we're, we're just, we're limited to these words that we have, uh, in order to share or, or, or even, you know, just maybe in art, you know, that sort of thing, uh, to create, to try and replicate the, the experience, try and replicate the, the, the wisdom, uh, you know, and, and with music as well, uh, like you, you're a, uh, a musician. So kind of maybe communicating that space in, in a musical way, or, or maybe it would be induce it, trying to induce that space. I was listening to your binaural beats, uh, the other day, they were really good. I was on Spotify. So yeah, I just, I was on Spotify and I was just, you know, sitting there with my laptop and I just, I think I just let, I don't know, just played maybe like 25 different tracks off various different albums. It's a, uh, it's fantastic. I'll put like links to all that stuff in the, in the episode. So people can go check that out. Um, yeah, man, this has been a pretty great conversation. We're heading towards the, uh, the hour mark here. Um, I, uh, I got a little bit more time. Uh, if, if you do. Yeah, sure, man. Sure. Yeah. Another yeah, 15 minutes or something like that would be just fine with me. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, when, interesting thing just to kind of lead off of what you were just talking about yeah we do have our our own ways of expressing our inner intangible experiences as you said through music and through through art through you know whatever it might be um but one of the things i've been thinking a lot about recently is that actually everything we do is an expression of that Mm -hmm. and so if you want to to learn someone's like their experience that we were just trying to talk about all you have to do is step back and like listen and if you if you listen to a person talk in the way that they're talking they're literally describing the walls of their subjectivity Mm. because they're looking around and taking their reading and they're using their words to tell you the symbols that they're seeing within their frequency of being and so if you listen to it with an open enough and, and you know flexible enough perspective then you can hear them uh, describing their subjectivity like this flowering painting. Yeah, my God, what a what a what a great point and what a revolutionary idea. Who would have thought, right? Listen to people. <laughs> well, th- thank thankfully for for podcasting, I think that's kind of brought that back. You know, there's definitely a craving for kind of a long form uh, listening and, and conversation. People want to be exposed to kind of a a realness and a trueness uh, in 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 the human experience of people just conversing. You know, whether it be about ideas like like what we're talking about, or whether it's like how to repair microwaves or whatever. You know, whatever it is, or you know, after you put the baby in the microwave, how to clean it. You know, that sort of thing. <laughs> That sort of thing, but but yeah, I, I totally agree with you, and it's amazing to me the uh, how many people because you know, and I and I'll say that I'm definitely guilty of this myself from time to time as well. I mean, I, I've probably been guilty of this during this podcast right now, listening to you talk. I'm definitely listening, but then a, a thought pops in my head: Oh, ask him a question about this, or maybe ask that. And you know, uh, during a podcast, I have a little notepad; I can write things down. But in in normal conversation. There's a lot, I think there's a lot of people that are thinking, you know, they're not really listening. They're not listening to uh, another person's uh, experience. And, and maybe this is the only way that that person can kind of convey their, uh, their experience to somebody else. And, and there's no listening that's happening because the other person's thinking about what they're going to say, or they're, they're, they're wandering off and thinking about something else. They're not really actually 
in the present moment, listening to the words, listening to the tone, listening to the, 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 the like you said, the, the person describing the walls of their, their inner experience and their thought. That's a, that's a huge, uh, problem. And I think that, I think meditation can, can help, uh, awaken that kind of, um, stillness and awareness of, of listening. Oh, definitely. Yeah. yeah, I was talking to Amanda Sage yesterday, the artist, which, you know, if you haven't seen her work, it's totally amazing. Highly recommend checking it out. Um, but she asked me what I thought, you know, someone someone who seems like a beam of light, you know, someone that you meet, they, wow, that person uh, just lights up a room and there's a real presence there. She asked me, what do I think that is? Um, what defines that that? business of that thing and you know my my thoughts around that and answer to that would be that that is a level of of openness of in a presence and of uh deep listening without uh judgment or um or even bias. Mm-hmm. It's, it's it's presenting yourself to individuals and the room and the world as someone who is actually listening, who is, is actually open, and who actually cares in a genuine way about uh, all of the other transmissions that are coming from them. Right. And it's that level of presence and comfortableness and lack of, of uh, judgment or you know, trying to fit your ego into and through the words of what someone else is saying to see yourself, but actually allowing yourself to see them. That's where the feeling of home comes from. Because that makes someone else feel that level of comfort, that level of, of safety, and that level of attention and presence and connectivity and reciprocity and resonance and all of those things. Um, and that's where you feel peace and you feel home, you feel connected, you feel the channel of oneness. You know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you do because there's, and 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 there's people that can fake it, but we can all kind of tell, right? Like we can all kind of tell, like oh, there's something, but so, but sometimes we 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 still fall prey to it, you know, uh, you know, the kind of the the sleazy car salesman who's really like your best friend or something like that, you know, I don't know, but like it's uh it's it's something that I feel like people can kind of pick up on, but we all we're all craving for that connection, so we almost kind of like. Uh, bypass that intuition and just go. Okay, well, you know, the, this feels like I think that 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 is one of the the biggest things. You know, people always ask me about, um, you know, just kind of, I guess like you know taking psychedelics and stuff like that. And I'm always just like, you know, you got to do, you got to listen to like what your intuition is telling you. You know, you got to listen to like what your where where that gut, you know, that gut instinct is 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 saying because like. Uh, the the gut is actually a, a, a very smart organ. You know, we have a tendency to think that the the brain is like the only one that's like really running the show. Like this is like we're we're all just a bunch of like brains walking around like uh, like Krang from Ninja Turtles. Like it's just like we're just these. Whoa! Why do we have these stupid friggin' you know meat sacks and then you know just this 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 vehicle for the brain? But we like we're the brain's just one of many organs. You know, and the and the and the gut is. Um, actually has like a, the most amount of like neurons and stuff that's compressed secondary to the brain. So it's a very similar, it's like a second brain. And so, uh, you know, intuition in, 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 in knowing, uh, when, when someone's being authentic, when someone's being real, when someone's communicating something to you to, to have that feeling that that's what makes, that's like, 
I, as far as I'm concerned, that's what makes us human. That's what makes the world go round. Like sharing that those stories, like what you were talking about when you were reading this stuff, and then you were you were reading the you know the the, the Buddhist um, uh, texts and things like that, and then you were having the experiences. There's this kind of universal language and connection that happens with authentic, real realness if you're paying attention. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and genuinely, whenever I come across someone who. Um, is is putting on that used car salesman thing you were talking about. Hey, Corey, how you doing? So I got a new uh, Toyota Camry here, four-door. Beautiful. Take the wife, take the dog, get out there. It's only going to cost you an arm and a leg. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I I, um, I I don't interact with it. You know? Yeah. I just continue my flow as I would with anyone else. And um, I speak to the person underneath the, the plaid jacket. And that's <laughs> real fast way to diffuse that level of uh, inauthenticity yeah. is because whenever you talk to someone sinner, they just stop most times trying to put on an affectation. It's because like the people that do that, they're, they're oftentimes unaware that they're even doing it. Right. Because they don't know, you know, either they're not comfortable with, with who they are or what they are, which a lot of people are not. Right, right. Yeah, that goes back to what we started the podcast off about with this general consensus of reality there. There's a lot of people that aren't comfortable because they feel like they need to fit in, they need to conform, they need to fit the general consensus. They can't be they can't be weird. There's a there's like a suffering that, that goes along with that, right? Right. Yeah. So a part of the to, to follow the Star Wars uh, analogy, you know, part of going through life with the force is that whenever um the used car salesman comes up to him and he, he starts his thing. You either don't, you know, the one, one option is to really engage with it and try and raise their, you know, kind of color their reality to how that guy's coming and, and manage and deal with it, even though they can feel it's sleazy or gross. Some people are rude and shut it down. They're like, yeah, fuck this guy. Mm-hmm. Um, to, to me, you know, the, the logical thing seems to actually, uh, you know, dodge that left hook of his own insecurity of the self right and speak to like his heart and, and who he is deeper than that and like if you touch on that place with people with a with a you know, unflinching peaceful authenticity and presence then it actually gives them the okay to to cut back and to stop that false behavior and be what they are because they say oh i feel safe with this person yeah i feel like i can be who i am and that there won't be any judgment and there won't be you know there can't be unless or else that that force doesn't work and right you're not using it um but I, I think that that's a great like um you know, it can be really impactful for people like uh, you know and, it, and for me like uh, my personality and just kind of my frequency of what i am never changes mm-hmm. you know? i mean just this dude out in the world. But I professional Corey. I'm professional Corey. Yeah. <laughs> but I see whenever I you know speak with someone who I can that that type of thing is blaring, uh, or if it's uh, subtle, or whatever, uh, I, I make sure I uh, am very open and, and, and speak to that place. And it's kind of incredible. You can watch that whole armor system they put up just melt away. Yeah. Yeah, I know what you're talking about, man. And it's and it's and it's like this this kind of subconscious uh, 
or like almost telepathic understanding like of like, oh, I see you. I see your game. I see. And they're kind of like, oh, shit, he sees my my game. Like he, he sees what's going on here. And that's that's the Jedi. That's the Jedi way, man. It's the good. So let's let's this will be the last thing we talk about because I'm very interested in this thing. The Bodhisattva, you know, this 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 idea of 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 the the being of uh, somebody who can live within the uh the kind of you know the game i love to talk about things in in terms of of games you know and, and sure. these and uh someone that can live within the kind of rules of the game and the way that things are but knows the the um the vast infiniteness of of the cosmos and whatnot. Uh, talk, can you talk about that a little bit? Because I I feel like uh, I've heard this kind of name being floated around in your general professional Corey direction, and I want to see like what your take on is it. What what, what do you think about it? Because I think this is I think this is a powerful thing if you can kind of if you can if you can hitch a ride on that frequency and kind of and connect to that level. I think we should all strive to be uh, bodhisattvas, right? Yeah, yeah. Are, are you referencing this because of the conversations I've had on podcasts about people emailing me telling me I'm the Bodhisattva? <laughs> well, kind of both. I so I, I've I've been interested in this idea for a while. I think I've I heard the first time I heard about it was was through Joseph Campbell uh, when he was talking about mythology and the Bodhisattva. And I'd also read this book uh, called uh, Finite and Infinite Games. I highly recommend it. Very very great book. Uh, James P. Cars. And so the two these two kind of things were bumping around in my head and I think I heard a podcast you did with uh two other guys Michael Phillip and um Noah right yeah. Noah yeah and you guys were were I think talking about the bodhisattva so yeah yeah there that's that's how it came into being yeah cool man um yeah I I've, I've had uh I, I think I talked about it definitely in the beginning of my last podcast with Hamilton Souther um but yeah I mean I, I get people emailing me all the time uh a handful of people trying to get me to admit that I'm the Bodhisattva, which I think is, I just, you know, it's really kind of sad to me. It's like, you know, it's just a level of, of, um, misplaced symbolism. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, but the way that you described the, the archetype is, I mean, that's all, that's all you need. It's, right. It's basically, it's a, a dude, an enlightened being that has the ability to transcend his body but chooses to stick around in order to spread awareness and peace and understanding and so forth. Yeah. That, I mean, I just find that to be so fascinating because it's, it's like, um, you know, for me personally, you know, I, I was, I mentioned the ayahuasca experience that I had in Peru and, and, uh, we, through the course of the weeks that I was there, the last ceremony was by far the most profound. I mean, I had this, I talk about it on my podcast. I did a whole like thing about it and it was really this transcendent, like this just completely, I mean, it's it, like we were talking about before the ineffable, the indescribable. I mean, I, I feel as though, as if I had merged with source merged with one. And I had this tremendous experience where the next day it was almost kind of of like a letdown to be back in a human body again and and have this and and so so that's where I started to think like okay there's 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 this there's this idea of the bodhisattva arch archetype and and that's a very fascinating idea I want to I want to I want to find out more about it but of course you realize that you're merging source all the time right? exactly yeah, right exactly so it's it, it it's not like oh I went to a place and then it's like ah damn I'm I'm not there again I need to get back there yeah right it it, it is this kind of always present, always there, 
always fully engulfed and immersed within uh thing and 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 at at first it's a uh, it could be a little overwhelming but but yeah i mean i i don't know i should i just find it really really interesting to to navigate life in that kind of mentality or that archetype of person or being right well that you know that that source or even in meditation someone feels peaceful and, and more aware and present and so on um that that's all that frequency always is always here it's just a matter of directing your attention to tune into it yeah um you know this little thing i wrote recently i was saying that there's a light in your head that has answers mm-hmm. you just have to point your attention to it you, you it's all there you know we you just it, it's setting the time and the intention to work to tune into those things because it's all, all it's right here for us you know everything infinity all the answers uh and, and all of the you know images and, and connection with source and, and all the stuff we're talking about and we're all experiencing all the time right heaven hell eternity the cosmos everything is here and now yeah just tune in you just need to tune your radio to the right channel and you'll get the right uh frequency yeah t- tune your meat radio yeah. yeah exactly but that you know that idea of the bodhisattva it's cool you know i mean i that's it's a cool idea i think that the the added um little spice of like well he can transcend his human form anytime he wants he just doesn't want to I mean, whatever I, i'm like that's a little I was sent here by the emailers of your podcast to get Corey Allen to admit that he is the Bodhisattva and you will testify before it now. <laughs> Right, or maybe that it could be because you knew that you can make that. You know, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but yeah, well, of course. I mean, we get it. We're gonna we get wrapped up in a, in a wormhole of all this kind of stuff. But I think the important thing, yeah. Actually, why don't I let you you tell the uh, the important thing, the takeaway, if you could, uh, you know, as we're wrapping up here, uh, <clears throat> the the kind of the t- the takeaway from all this this kind of business. You know, I mean, we're you you're 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 a uh, you're a musician. You you teach uh, meditation. You're you know. Um, a uh, a boy genius who <laughs> who is uh who has shred his ego to uh to to help others uh alleviate from suffering and increase awareness so um so yeah what what uh what is to be kind of uh um i don't know i mean th- this is this is a kind of like a, a bad way this is like a bad hacky like like to, to wrap it all up in one word what would you say this is all about but yeah i'll give you kind of like i'll give you free reign for like finishing uh thoughts now of of kind of what we discussed and, and everything that you're that you're partaking in and then of course tell people where they can you know reach you and find your stuff because you have you have so much stuff available uh you know on your website and everything everything like that so so tell them all about that stuff as well yeah, I mean, I basically just the summation of of everything that I'm doing, and you know, a a way that you can experience your own life in a deeper and uh, more richer and peaceful way is to um, at first, like, just begin to allow yourself to pause sometimes in life and actually experience and feel what you're experiencing. You know, whenever you're washing the dishes, stop. And, and feel the warm water running over your hands and feel the sponge moving up against the plate and actually feel what that feels like and how beautiful it is. Or if you're in the shower, you know, allowing the, 
the water in the shower to, to run over your face and just feel the warmth and, and the beauty of that moment. Whenever you bite into a, a slice of pizza or whatever delicious thing that you might let, like actually pause and, and taste all what that tastes like and how powerful that the, the actual experience of now is, you know, it's a treat and that's always happening. And, um, it just takes a bit of uh, patience and, and getting, um, you know, putting some space inside of your mind inside of your body to be able to live in this moment and uh, experience the indulgence of now, you know, and, and with that presence comes, comes a peace because you're not wrapped up. You're not living 15 seconds in the future or in the past. And, um, you know, with that peace of the self, uh, means that you can bring that to other people, you know, and, and that's, um, that's one of the most beautiful things that, that a person can feel. As far as my my stuff, I have a, a meditation course called Release Into Now. You mm-hmm. can go to releaseintonow.com and check that out. It's a six-week online meditation course, and I cover everything from the very basics all the way up to heart opening, throat opening, and I talk about uh, you know astral traveling and consciousness and, and stuff that a lot of philosophy woven through that. Um, and actually, as a, as a quick little preview, I don't know when this is actually going to episode's going to go out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably um, next week. Oh, perfect timing. Um, I licensed that course to Onnit, so that's one of their products now, so we're going to do an Onnit launch probably next week. Uh, cool. Even, even, even this week. Um, so you can check that out, uh, releasingtonow.com, or you'll see it through your Onnit newsletter or on their homepage or whatever. Um, I wrote a uh, co-authored book with the writer Kevin Kaiser. Uh, that's called One Pointed Life. And that's sort of this digital package where you can go to one, the number one, pointedlife.com. Um, you get a ebook of, of the book that we wrote together. And it's all about you know waking up to your own life, getting out of your inherited behavior, and getting closer to the present moment so that you can you know, become who you are and increase your awareness and focus in life. And that comes with the, the written book, an audio book, which I, uh, I do the reading for. Uh, it comes with some binaural beats that I composed just for that book, and uh, also four five-minute uh, guided meditations, just quick things to help kind of like little shots of meditation you take during your day. Nice. Also, um, the, my binaural beats that I created, which I released in partnership with Aubrey Marcus, um, those are brainwave and training um, pieces of music that are you know thirty minutes long, and basically they. Uh, uh, they're not like ordinary binaural beats. They're very uh, complex. I've used you know, a decade of sound research and in these. They're very different take and flavor on them. Uh, but, but you can basically they will enhance and, and, and train the frequencies of your brainwaves into different states, like alpha, theta, gamma, so what what have you. And those can help you get into states of focus, into states of deep meditation, uh, uh, and things of that nature. Uh, those are if you. All of this I'm talking about, if you go to Corey-Allen.com, you can see all that there. And if you go to my Facebook page, which is The Corey Allen, um, I do a lot of writing there, uh, which you can see, and a lot of cool videos and and things like that. And um, then also I am working on a book that will come out probably late this year, a full, um, uh, a deep dive into all the stuff we've been talking about. 
Excellent, man. That's that's great. I had a fantastic time having this conversation with you, man. And uh, you know, just you're manifesting some amazing stuff into this universe. So so keep it up, and uh, and congratulations on all the stuff that you're doing. And and you know, thanks again for spending this time with me and uh, and our listeners here at Mike Delic. And uh, you know, hope you uh, hope you come back and do it again sometime. And uh, and we can we can dive a little deeper and talk about maybe some new projects that you got going on. It seems like you you have a lot going on right now, though. So that's awesome. It's, it's absolutely my pleasure and thank you so much for asking me uh, I had a wonderful time talking with you too man. so uh, there will unquestionably be more cool things to talk about in the future <laughs> excellent dude alright well that's it and uh, thank you for listening peace everyone <laughs>